going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you're watching live stream, and you have your Bible, we'll open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse 8. I want to share a message entitled, When the World Closes In. And it seems like sometimes uh, things just kind of close in around us. And uh, what do we do about that situation? Amen. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and uh, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Now we have the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might be through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Uh, when the world closes in on you. Uh, verse 8 and 9 is our text says, we are troubled on every side, we are yet, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. What a great passage the Apostle Paul gives us here. Uh, we, uh, uh, got to remember what I was going to say to begin here. Um, I don't know what I was saying that first point, amen. But anyway, it sounds pretty good. Uh, we to whom has been given, man, what was I writing? The glorious ministry of the gospel? Wow, yeah, realize that we are expected, we can expect trouble. All right, I know what I was going to say there now, amen. Sometimes I don't figure it out. Uh, God has entrusted to us the gospel of Jesus Christ, and uh, it is um, taught in the scriptures, and it certainly is experienced personally that those that would work in the ministry of the gospel of Christ are going to suffer difficulties and troubles that they're going to have to go through. Every Christian, every believer has difficulties they're going to uh, have to face in their life. And the, I think the key to a successful living of our Christian life is being aware of those trials and difficulties that may come. But then how do we get through those trials and difficulties and how do we uh, live it out for the glory of God. You know, Apostle Paul in this chapter begins uh, the chapter with the preaching of Christ. And as we see 
in verse 3, he says, But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And so the first part of the chapter, we're not really examining that tonight, but it does deal with the aspect of preaching Jesus Christ. And our life as a Christian is literally that, to preach, to proclaim, to reveal, to share with others uh, who Jesus Christ is because of the fact that the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of those that are lost uh, to try to prevent the glorious gospel of Christ to shine in their hearts. But we need to be ministers of this great mystery and the gospel of Christ to be able to bring people to the saving uh, of their soul. And so Paul begins with the preaching of Christ. In verses 10 through 18, he ends the chapter with the practice of faith. That's why when you get all the way down in the verse uh, 17 and, uh, and 18, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so he says, based on the fact that we have this great mystery to be able to preach the gospel of Christ in this world that is blinded, uh, we also understand that the way we live our life, the practical way we respond to life, is not through what we can see, but it's through faith to believe that God is directing us and enabling us to be able to experience the power of God to deliver us. However, right in the middle of this chapter, uh, he deals with this concept of the world closing in. So says, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. In this process of preaching Christ and living by faith, uh, the world has a tendency to hem us in and, and circle us and come upon us. So like what Harry Ironside said in this little poem that he wrote, he says, let the world despise and leave me. They have left my Savior too. Human hearts and looks deceive me. Thou art not like them untrue. And so when you think about Christ, you think about God, you think about what he does in our life, uh, there are trials, there are difficulties, there is a despising, the, there is aggression, or whatever it may be. But God is not abandoned us. Jesus said in John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so as much as Paul would have to deal with the difficulties of preaching the gospel and traveling on his missionary journeys, encouraging the believers uh, he was aware of the fact that Jesus had forewarned that there are going to be trials and tribulations we're going to have to go through. And it's, it's amazing sometimes we just allow ourselves to get all beside ourselves because election may go wrong. Or we get all beside ourselves because a bill hits us une unexpectedly. And we, it just many times just kind of knocks us off our heels and knocks us over because of the unexpected consequences of just living in the world. 
But yet Jesus has already said there will be those trials and those difficulties, and so the world will close in on you. Matthew 16 and 24 says, Then said Jesus unto the disciples, If a man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so this matter of living a life for Christ is a matter of living a life of self-denial. I believe it was Andrew Murray was questioned one time about how uh, he experienced the power of God and the move of God in his life and through the ministries uh, that he would uh, uh, develop. And uh, he just said this. He's, the story goes that when he was asked that, he just hung his head. And, and sheepishly just said to the fellow that asked him that, uh, there was a day in my life when Andrew Murray died. And from that point on, my life was not my own. And oftentimes we forget that God wants us to die to ourselves. And uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. That's a daily process. And, and it's, there's always that drive for us to try to rise up and take control of things in our life and try to make decisions based on what our desires are. And as a result of it, we just mess up the whole thing and we get floored and we get knocked off our heels because of the fact that the world starts closing in. And so let's consider when the world closes in. First of all, there's this matter of being surrounded in verse 8, it says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. And here's a little thought for you in your notes. We are not hedged in nor cooped up because we can see help in God and help from God and have liberty of access to God. And when the world closes in, we need to remind ourselves that, wait a minute, the world cannot capture us. It cannot uh, uh hedge around us and hold us in captivity because of the fact that we have faith in our God, we have hope in our God, and no matter what's going on, he can provide a way to be able to escape the trials and difficulties in life. There may be suffering involved, there may be difficulties to go through, but God does not leave us to go through them alone. He's with us, taking us through there. So we are troubled on every side. The word troubled there in verse 8 means to press. And it carries with it the idea of pressing grapes. If you're going to make juice, you're going to make wine, uh, you have to press the grapes, the wine press that squeezes the juice out of the grapes in order for that Oh, um, uh, those grapes to become a, a juice that would be enjoyable to drink, you do understand it has to go through a time of trouble. It has to go through the press in order to get the juice out of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in uh, verse 8, Paul's for it says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. And so Paul, we often look at Paul and we say, what a great man of God and how God used him so mightily to lead so many to Christ and establish so many different churches. But we don't stop to think about how he was pressed out of measure, uh, how his strength was driven to a point almost of extinction. 
uh, of his experience that he literally even came to a point of despairing for his life. And so troubles do come for the purpose of pressing us that God might be able to get out of us and create in us and enable us to be everything that he desires for us to be for his glory. So we're troubled. The troubles will come. The press will come. In 2 Corinthians 7 in verse 5, it says, For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. And then in verse 7 it says, And not only by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you, when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. So Paul says in the midst of the trials and in the midst of the discomfort and the difficulties, uh, that press that was going on in his life, he was comforted by the other believers that would come and encourage him and strengthen him. He was encouraged by Titus coming and, uh, and sharing the word of God with him. And so uh, Paul knew what it was to be pressed out of measure. He said, we're troubled. And then now he said, he troubled, but we're troubled on every side. That means no matter which way you turn, there's trouble. Uh, you know, it just seems like it happens that sometimes. I don't know about your life, but I know my life. Sometimes it seems like no matter where you turn, no matter what you try to do, trouble is waiting for you difficulties are there to try to overcome you know the prophet Elisha experienced that that back in second kings chapter six about trouble on every side and every believer sometime somewhere in their life is going to face that trouble in their life that just is everywhere you turn uh just seems like there's no release there's no let up in second uh, kings chapter six in verse 11 it says, therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is. Uh, contact tracing, amen. <laughs> Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he hither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. It's interesting that in the quiet time, the peaceful time of night, the enemy is plotting and planning to bring the attack. Then in verse 15 it says, When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? When the tragedies come, the difficulties come, we seem to be surrounded on every side. Immediately the question is, comes to our minds is, what are we going to do now? And then, um, in verse 16, he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. 
I think we need to remind ourselves that those that are with us, those that are on the Lord's side, outnumber the world. Amen. And the enemy may attack and problems may be, seem overwhelming, but God is still on the throne. He's still in control. And here it is. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire around about Elisha. Uh, when it seems like you are troubled on every side, when it seems like there is the press, the full press is on, and no matter where you turn, it seems like there's no escape, uh, remember this, that God is still outnumbering the enemy who is attacking you. And I thought about this trouble on every side, individually. Uh, you know, you may individually, I, I know I'll have problems and difficulties and trials I got to go through that you're not going to go through. But the reality is there is also those troubles on every side collectively. In other words, you may be experiencing some trouble by yourself, but then all of a sudden your family's involved with it. As a pastor, sometimes I struggle with different things and, and have to overcome different things, and then the church has to struggle with those different things. And so we all have trouble on every side. We all have the press on us. It never lets up. And uh, it comes in from every angle that you can imagine. The side that you think the enemy's not going to attack is where he's coming. He's going to hit you at your low point. He's going to hit you at your weakest point. He's going to hit you at the most vulnerable point in your life and to try to discourage you and defeat you. And so Paul says we are troubled on every side. Jay Hudson Taylor said this, it matters not how great the pressure is. I've had people over the years say, well, you just don't understand what I'm going through. Well, you're right, but you don't understand what I'm going through either. The, po the point is not the pressure. So he says this, it matters not how great the pressure is, only where the pressure lies. If we make sure it never comes between us and our Lord then the greater the pressure, the more it presses us to him. So the pressure, the trouble on every side should not be a wedge that drives us away from Christ. It ought to be the strength or the power or the push that drives us to Jesus Christ. Because in those times of trouble on every side, my only means of ability to be able to deal with those pressures is the power that I can get through my walk with Christ and my relationship with him. And so he says we're troubled on every side. And then his conclusion about that statement is yet not distressed. Just because of the fact that there is pressure coming from every angle, just because of the fact it seems like Everything is falling apart, and there's absolutely no way that you can correct the situation. Remember this, you still are not distressed. The word distressed uh, literally means to be in a narrow place. So to say that we're distressed is to say that there's no way to get out. To say that we're distressed is to say that there's no way to be able to overcome what this pressure is in my life. But yet Paul says we may be troubled on every side, yet we are not distressed. 
And so how can we deal with this? First of all, I think we need to label the problem. You know, in Daniel chapter 2, we won't turn it over there. You can read it later on. Daniel chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, we read about uh, Daniel being aware of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we read in that statement there, it identifies the fact that David now knows what's in his heart. And uh, because of the dream that he would inter interpret for him. And so what is he doing? He's labeling, he's identifying the problem. And so if you're troubled on every side, it seems like no matter where you're turning, you need to assess and evaluate what is the root of the problem. You need to assess and evaluate uh, literally what is the thing that has brought me to this point of being so stressed out and so distressed about life that I'm literally even dis despairing of life. And so you're not going to correct the problem if you're not willing to identify the problem. It may be you're just tired. You know, I, uh, you know, you read about the children of Israel in the wilderness. They, they said they fainted because of the way. In Numbers it tells, I think it's Numbers chapter 10. They fainted because of the way. In other words, the pressures, the difficulties, the requirements, and the necessities of everyday living going through the wilderness caused them to experience fatigue, and as a result of it, they fainted because of the way. And so many times Christians will faint because of the problems that come up in your life and you're not willing to identify the problem. If you don't know what the problem is, you can't correct it. If you don't know what the problem is, you can't get it out of your life. So be willing to label the problem. And then I just put down this, number two there, look for the exit, amen? <laughs> And now uh, he, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation but that which is common to man, but God will with the temptation provides a means of escape. So, you know, we have exit signs in the building here. If there's a fire or something going on, I mean, the lights may go out and everything may close down, but the exit light still shines. We can find the exit to get out. And so many times we're not willing to look for the exit because we're more comfortable with accepting the trouble and the problems because it feeds our pity parties oftentimes. And uh, I, I enjoy my pity parties. I don't invite anybody to them. And I just enjoy them myself. But I, I, it gets to a point where I say, I got to get over this thing, man. Where's the exit sign? I got to get out. And so Paul says, we may be troubled on every side, but we are not distressed. God has provided a way for me to escape this trial, and he's going to get me through. And then after you label the problem and looked for the exit, you depend upon the Lord. The bottom line is you just got to depend upon the Lord. We just read this verse as we were studying Micah. Uh, and uh, um, in chapter 7, in verse 7, it says, Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And so once I come to a point of understanding why I'm suffering the way I'm suffering, um, I understand how I can get through this thing. I depend upon God because God is the one who is, will not abandon me. And he is the one who will strengthen me. So I can be troubled on every side.
but not distressed. You know, sometimes as a pastor going through the church is like walking through a gauntlet. And, it, you know, you go through and this, Pastor, what about this? Huh? And get over here. What about this, Pastor? What about that? Well, by the time I get up here to preach, I'm like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we live your life that way. Your kids, what's about the mom and dad? And it's like, come on, you go to, and then you go to work and they say, this job's not done. You need to get it done right now. And you, everything piles up on you. Think everything is just falling apart, and you end up in a spirit of despair. And wait a minute, we're not distressed. We're not ruined because of the trials in life. We have to come to a place where we continue to depend upon the Lord. If I will not identify or label the problem and I will not look for the exit, I am certainly not going to just stop and trust God through that trial and through that difficulty. And so I have to depend upon the Lord. So he says we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Verse 8, the last part of the verse, we are perplexed but not in despair. And I just identified it as confused. Uh, many times we struggle in our Christian life uh, to gain victory in our life because we're just confused about things. Here's a thought for you. Even in our greatest perplexities, knowing that God is able to support us and to deliver us, and in Him we always place our trust and hope. We don't have to be confused to a point where we uh, are, are void of understanding how to respond in the difficulties in life when this matter of being confused, perplexed. The word perplexed there simply means to be without resources. It means not to know how to decide. And so when he says we are perplexed, but we're not uh, in despair, he's saying, uh, you know, we were lacking resources. I, I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to make a decision. I don't know how to decide. Oftentimes people go through problems and, and they just don't know how to decide what the answer should be. And uh, whenever there's a major tragedy in your life, uh, you, you really need to refrain from making any major decisions because of the fact the tragedy causes a perplexity it causes a confusion. And as a result of it, many times people make decisions that are wrong decisions. I've seen, I've, 35 years, I've seen, seen a, when I think I've seen it all, God shows me something I haven't seen yet. So I don't want to say I've seen it all, but I've seen an awful lot of people in the midst of tragedy make decisions that are, that are absolutely detrimental to their spiritual life absolutely detrimental to their ability to enjoy their relationship with Christ. And it's because of the perplexity of life has robbed them of being able to gain the resources of what God wants them to enjoy in their life and how God can work. And so they don't know how to decide. So what do we do? How do we deal with this perplexity? I think, first of all, we need to cast down the imaginations that we come you know, when, when you're tired, when you're sick, uh, when you're dis, disappointed, when things don't work out the way that you think they should work out, uh, that is a bad time to try to make a decision because you imagine everything that is absolutely wrong. Uh, 
they say most preachers resign from the church every Monday morning. I mean, that's after all the stresses and everything on Sunday. Monday gets through. They get through Monday. They're doing okay. They can figure it all out. Oftentimes, we, we just we give up on things in life because we imagine things to be worse than what they are. And what, what do you say? I think it's 75 or 80 percent of the things that we worry about in life never come to pass. And people make decisions on things they suppose is going to come to pass, and it never comes to pass. Now they made a bad decision. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 5, it says, Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and, bring, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so if I'm going to be able to overcome being perplexed, being confused about my situation in life, then I'm going to have to throw everything away. I'm going to have to throw it all down because I want to capture the mind of Christ. I want to understand what it is that God is doing in that midst of confusion in my life. And then, listen, there's been multitudes of times I've said, I've talked to my wife and, and I've just, I've told her, I said, I just don't know. I don't know, I don't know what's going on. I'll tell you, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in this world sometimes. I don't know what's going on in people's lives. And, and it gets so confusing, how can somebody make that decision in their life knowing, knowing, even being warned that this is going to be the outcome and they still make that decision? It confuses me. So cast down imaginations. Don't think things are what they are uh, based on your thought process that is fatigued and it doesn't have all the information. You got to make sound judgments and sound decisions. And so how can I do it? Now, not only cast down imaginations, but walk worthy. In other words, you keep your walk with God right. Uh, when tragedies come, people have a tendency to back off from the Lord. They have a tendency to back off from reading their Bible, back off from being in church, back off from doing ministry. And uh, for Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10 says that you might walk worthy of the Lord in, uh, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so we must, when tragedy comes, perplexity comes, we must keep our walk with God right. You, can, you cannot stop. You cannot let up. When life becomes confusing, that's when you've got to run to the scriptures. I've watched people make decisions about their children because of the fact that, that you know that things are changed and they want to get involved in things they shouldn't be involved in. And right away they get confused about how to deal with it. You've got to stick with the word of God. You've got to keep walking with God. Because the confusion will not leave if you depart from God. Because our knowledge that we gain is based on our relationship with Christ. So walk worthy of the Lord. And then I just put down number three there. It's just in 2 Peter uh, 1 and 2. is grace and peace. Uh, the way to overcome perplexity in our life is to just depend upon and respond to the grace of God. Grace always gives us peace. When you start living outside of the realm of grace, you're going to lose your peace. And so I might not be able to understand what is going on. 
I might not be able to comprehend what is happening in my life, but I can tell you this, I can still have the peace of God that passes all understanding because of God's grace. And so perplexity uh, puts us in a position of being confused. But he says this, we may be perplexed, but we're not in despair. So despair just simply means to be uh, utterly at a loss, completely at a loss. It has it with the idea of to renounce all hope. To be in despair is to literally state that there's no hope. It is literally to determine that no matter what I do or no matter what you say, it's not going to work. I've had people say that over the years to me. And Well, preacher, you might say that, but that's not the way it works. It won't work because you won't apply it into your life. Because of the fact you're confused at that point in your life, and rather than just responding by faith and believing God to work it out, the principles in the Bible work. We just need to work them and live according to them. So I don't want to fall into a state of utter loss, and I certainly don't want to come to a point of renouncing all hope in my life. And so when I'm confused in life, I've got to respond. First of all, uh, what do I need to do? I need to re redirect your thoughts. I need to start thinking differently. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Let this mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself a no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of man, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I've just got to start thinking different. I can't think like somebody that's in the world. I can't think like somebody who is unsaved. I can't think to try to figure out my problems and solve my problems by not having my thoughts directed towards Jesus Christ. And so when you're falling into the point of despair because you're confused, start thinking on the things of Christ. Start gaining, again, the mind of Christ. In, uh, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 and 9, it says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for uh, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I might win Christ. And so start thinking about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Redirect your thoughts. I found this. I can, I can talk myself into depression real fast. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. I know, I know the buttons to push to get my wife discouraged. And I'll tell you one thing, that's a dangerous thing to do, amen? We, listen, we know how to think on the things that do not give us hope. And the world and the devil is, is willing to put them in front of us, to capture our attention so that we'll renounce all hope because of the fact that we think things are worse than what they are when, we, when in reality we need to redirect our thoughts. In Jonah chapter 2 and verse 7 it says, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. 
May I say that when things are falling apart and it seems like we have no hope and it seems like we're going in despair, at that point of despair, let's remember the Lord. It says, And my prayer came unto thee and to thy holy temple. And so we need to redirect our thoughts. Now, number two there, we need to refresh our focus. You know, I love what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. If we are dying daily like the Apostle Paul said he does, if we're dying to self as Andrew Murray testified to, if we're living our life with the resolve that our life is not our own, then when I feel like I'm falling in despair because I'm confused about what life is dealing to me, then I need to refresh my focus and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. These things don't matter to me. I don't count any of these things dear unto my life. Lamentations 3.58 says, O Lord, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. Need to refocus on what's important in life and what is mattering in life and what God will do in my life. And so I need to redirect my thoughts and I need to refocus, uh, refresh my focus that is on the Lord and not on the trials that are confusing me. And so refresh my focus. Number three, you need to revive the process. And uh, a couple of thoughts here. Uh, as far as the process, that God does have a way of working in our lives and uh, for his glory, and we just need to allow the Lord to do that. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 8 it says, uh, Whom having not seen ye love, and in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so I need to revive the process. What's the process? I don't look at the things in this life. I look to Christ through the eyes of faith. And I might not have seen him, but I still believe in him. And so the process of living a victorious life is a life not looking to the things that are here and now because they're carnal, they're temporal. But we look at things through the eyes of faith, believing that all things are possible to him that believeth. So revive the process. So we have trouble on every side, and uh, not only trouble on every side, we're surrounded, but we have confusion. And then in verse 9, he says, persecuted. Notice in verse 9, he tells us that we're persecuted, but not forsaken. Uh, persecuted, here's a thought here in your notes, pursued with hatred and violence, from place to place as men not worthy to live, yet not forsaken of God. And oftentimes we think, well, you know, everybody's going to be accepting of me as a Christian. In reality, there is persecution that does come. Uh, letter A there just says that persecuted means to be made to run or put to flight. Made to run or put to flight. They say that one in nine Christians worldwide suffer persecution. Uh, we don't experience much of that in our country, but I believe that it's, it's coming. I believe it's going to be more aggressive than it's been in the past. How does this persecution come? 
first of all, number one, by authoritarian governments. You look where persecution is in the world and it's authoritarian governments that are running things. Um, outside the majority culture, and uh, in other words, you don't fit into the culture. You realize that we are outside of the culture. Uh, we don't adhere to the things that they do in the culture. Extremist groups. There are extremist groups that cause persecution. And then religious freedom uh, that's disrespected as a human right. That is going on all around the world. And Paul says we may be persecuted, but we're not forsaken. And not forsaken, the word forsaken means to abandon, to leave behind. And so Paul says this persecution may come upon us and we may not like it. Certainly we're not enjoying it and certainly we're not looking forward to it. But the reality is when it comes upon us, remember this, that you're not abandoned of God. He does not forsake his own. We have a past example, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. The words that God would give to Joshua for encouragement was always in reference to, as I was with my servant Moses. As I was with my servant Moses. So we have a past example to follow to know that when the pressure's on, when the persecution is hot, uh, there is a God who will not forsake us, and he has shown it to us by working in the lives of those before us. Not only a past example, but a present experience. In other words, you can experience victory in your life right here, right now. In Psalm 91, I want to read that one psalm there. In Psalm, one, uh, psalm 91, uh, in uh, verse 15, to know that God is not going to forsake us in times of trials and persecutions in our life. Psalm 91 in uh, verse 15 says, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I think in all this that Paul's dealing with, when the world closes on us, in on us, we need to remember, when you call upon your God, he will answer said, when he shall call upon me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And so we know that, wait a minute, we have a present experience that even now, right now, we can call on the Lord and he'll hear our prayers and he'll respond to us. He will be with us in the time of trouble. And so when the world closes in, uh, remember this, you're not forsaken. Then I put down in verse 9, the last part, rejected. In uh, uh, verse 9, it says, uh, persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. Our spirits begin to fall, fail us. Uh, there may be fears within as well as fightings without, yet they are not destroyed. And uh, Matthew Henry, I like what he says. He says the apostle speaks of their sufferings as constant, and as a counterpart of the sufferings of Christ. In other words, no matter what we go through in life, Jesus has already been through it. He was all at points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And so this matter of being rejected, we are cast down. So cast down just simply means to throw to the ground. It, it carries with the idea of just making low, making you low. 
And uh, we may be rejected of men, but we are not rejected of God. And so uh, oftentimes we are thrown down, we are cast down in our own eyes. You can read Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 16. It speaks about in their own eyes uh, how they were cast down. Uh, you read about the children of Israel going in and spying out the land, uh, the promised land. And what did they say? That we were as grasshoppers in their eyes. Uh, but they, before they said in their eyes, they said we were as grasshoppers in our eyes. And oftentimes we cast ourselves down. And uh, we are uh, cast down uh, not only in our own eyes, but by the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15 tells us, that the Lord said he would cast them down because of their iniquities. Uh, oftentimes there is the casting down uh, brought spiritual, spiritually low. And just knowing that in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 says, Why, my soul, why art thou cast down? And why art thou disquieted within me? And so these things, it's a matter of casting down, can be in our own eyes. It could be by the Lord. It could be going spiritually low. It could be because of the effects of the world. And we just feel like we, we, we often talk about self-esteem. I don't like talking about self-esteem much. I think we find our worth and value in Christ, not in ourselves. But oftentimes we allow the world to demean us in reference to who we are. And as a Christian, and uh, listen, don't be cast down. You may be cast down. You may be suffering of, uh, of uh, thoughts that are discouraging. Remember this, you're not destroyed. The word destroyed means to abolish or to kill. And uh, realize that, that, wait a minute, we are not destroyed no matter how much we may be cast out and cast down by the world. The fallen are restored. Proverbs 24, 16 says, The just man will fall seven times, but will rise up again. And I'm thankful that with the Lord, you can always be gathered up. You can always be redeemed. You always can be restored. Uh, the broken are healed. Exodus 15, 26 says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And I think when we go through these times of despair and discouragement and, and trials and difficulties, we need to remind ourselves the healer of our soul is our God. And, and I might not understand. I might not be able to comprehend. I might not be able to deal with the, the issues, whatever they may be. But I know this, that God still loves me and he can heal my broken heart. And he can lift me up when I fall. And I'm glad that, wait a minute, I may be cast down, but I'm not going to be destroyed. They may take my life, but I'm going to glory. So, you know, so I'm winning. I'm on the winning side. Amen. Here's some thoughts about that. Uh, Abraham lied. And the interesting thing is, Abraham lied, but according to James 2.23, he was called the friend of God. Sometimes I read these things in scriptures, and it just seems strange to me. But Abraham lied, and he was called the friend of God. David committed adultery, and uh, he, God said of him that he was a man after my own heart in Acts 13, 22. 
Now it shows me when a man sins, he can repent of his sins and he can get right with God. And uh, so he certainly identified with Abraham, he identified with David, but then I thought of Peter. Peter cursed and denied the Lord, but he was the keynote speaker, the keynote preacher, amen, on the day of Pentecost. And some 3,000 souls were saved. We're, we're so quick to condemn ourselves when the world closes in. We're so quick to listen to the lies of the devil. We're so quick to give up on our life in Christ. But the reality is God is on our side. And if God is on our side, if God be for us, who can stand against us? And so whether we're troubled on every side, remember we're not distressed. And whether we're perplexed, we're not in despair. If we're persecuted, we're still not forsaken of God. If we're cast down, we still cannot be destroyed. And so when the world closes in on us, let's turn to our God and trust Him and believe Him and let, let, our, let our life continue on for Christ. Don't give up on Christ. Don't turn back your back on the Lord. I, 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 it, I'd rather be walking with God through the trials than living under the chastisement and judge, judgment of God in the world, enjoying uh, no trials at all in my life. But the interesting thing is this. Oftentimes people say that. I've heard people say that. You know, I don't know it's worthwhile being a Christian. I mean, the problems and difficulties you go through. Hey, the unsaved go through trials and difficulties also. The unsaved are confused. They're perplexed. But see, what their confusion and perplexity does to them, it leads them into the pits of despair to where suicide rates are skyrocketing in America. But the Christian doesn't fall into despair because we know we have a God who cares for us. And so when the world, listen, when the world closes in, we're going to believe the living God. Amen. Well, I hope that was a blessing for you tonight. We need to pray.